Welcome into another edition of the Dubcast. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter coming to you uh, sort of live. At some point during the week, you're going to listen to it. At some <laughs> I'm point, alive. we're doing this. <laughs> we are alive and we're doing this. Hey, I want you to do, I'm going to do a little a time to kill for me for you right off the gates. Uh, okay. A little, little Matthew McConaughey, Jake Brigance, a time to kill. <laughs> uh, I, I want you to imagine that you were a, uh, a, one of the greatest football programs of all time, that you had a following that was as good as any in the country that an entire state lived and died with you on every single college football Saturday. Now I want to uh, you to imagine that the school is Nebraska, not Ohio State. And now hmm. I want you to think about giving up 60 on a Saturday night in November when you finally think, you finally think, maybe, maybe they're naive enough to think that they finally <laughs> were on their way back. And they were a paper tiger coming in. They were exposed as a paper tiger going out. And I can't help but have empathy for them, my friend, because the, the what they were, and I remember it very well growing up where I did in Montana, you kind of clamored towards Nebraska. As, there weren't really that many teams around us, and we kind of clamored towards Nebraska. And what they were in the 90s was, especially the mid-90s, was unlike anything I've seen in college football from a dominant standpoint. And they are so far from that, my friend, and I can't help but feel sorry uh, for those fans, because I don't think they'll ever get it quite back. So before we get to what Ohio State did and all the greatness of it, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there, kind of get your take on a program that, boy, was the gold standard 20 years ago and is now off the grid. So I talked to some uh, Nebraska fans because I went to the game and I was sitting next to some and I just wanted to see how they felt about the atmosphere and you know how the game was going. Obviously, I didn't keep asking that question as the game went on. You know, I think I probably got the gist of it. But, you know, I, I think honestly, the, the, at least the guys that I talked to seem to have the sense that they kind of knew that maybe this was coming a little bit, that Tom Armstrong Jr. isn't that great of a quarterback and that maybe they had some deficiencies that their schedule was covering up and things like that. So I don't know that they really came in expecting this to be a win for them necessarily, although I, I definitely don't think they expected the kind of loss that they sustained. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I think... You know, we talked about last week about expectations and whatnot. I don't know that Nebraska really came up with the expectation that they were coming in and, and maybe going to give Ohio State like a really good game. I mean, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, frankly, because of the way that Ohio State's offense had played. But, you know, maybe Nebraska, and maybe they're just too friendly, and maybe this is skewed by their, their you know, geniality or whatever. But um, I think they kind of expected it. Not the, the blowout, but the loss. And maybe I think they kind of knew that, this was coming. So while it sucks, I don't think they're necessarily like as furious as an Ohio state fan might be uh, if the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah. I, I think of, you know, there aren't, there are some programs that I don't know. We, we talked about this. Remember we were doing the Penn state preview and we talked about this. Like, I, I don't know if Penn state can ever quite get back right. to what they were 30 years ago, just because of everything that's happened. Nebraska is kind of the poster child for that because what they were at one point, for a long period of time, from the 60s through the 90s, they were one of these programs that was on every Saturday that you could watch. And so when you're Tom Osborne and you're selling that program and you go into Fort Myers and you get Tommy Frazier and you go get Lawrence Phillips, and you go get some of these guys, you could sell this unique experience that wasn't that everybody didn't have. Not everybody had a television deal. Everybody wasn't on TV every time they played Oklahoma or every time they played Colorado or every time they played in the, in the Miami in the Orange Bowl. I mean, they could sell that. They could sell the Orange Bowl. You want to go to Miami and play in the Orange Bowl? Who doesn't, right? So right. those are things that they could sell. And all of that's gone. And and what what has happened in its place is that you can win a national championship or you can win a Heisman Trophy at Louisville. 
Hmm. You can win a Heisman Trophy or you can compete for a Heisman Trophy or win a national championship or play in a college football playoff at a place like Boise State or Houston. It's rare, but you can do it. And it's almost easier to do it at Houston than Nebraska now, which is so bizarre to wrap your mind around because <laughs> of what Nebraska was. But anyway, I couldn't help but think of it as, as I'm watching the game on Saturday night and I'm just seeing it get away. And everything that I have ever heard about people from Nebraska in that program is class, class, class. And they were so dominant. And they were the, for, in, in, my, in my high school, you know, when I was in high school, they were the program. I mean, they, nobody was, they were the most unstoppable force. They are what Alabama is now. Like they were in it every year and they won it a lot, three times in four years. And, um, and now to see what they are now, and they came in their 10th, but I don't, and to your point, I don't think the people even at Nebraska thought they were that good, um, but they were certainly exposed on a Saturday night. And I just don't know, you just don't know if they'll ever get it back. I don't think so because of the recruiting situation. You just, it's hard. Every recruiting trip the head coach at Nebraska takes is on a plane. That's hard. Yeah. You have to have a base somewhere. Um, Urban has a base in the Midwest in Ohio where he can get the base of his class, and then he can go around the country and get the best players in the country to fill out his class. You can do the same thing at Michigan. You can do it at Penn State. You can't do it in Nebraska. There's not enough players. So everybody's a flight. And now you've got to try and sell. You can't recruit Texas anymore because you're not going to play games in Texas anymore. I, I just think it's a, it's a done deal. And, and choosing to go to the Big Ten – you know, I think will end up being the undoing of their football program as they knew it. Well, you know um, what? One and, thing that I want to add to that real quick is that yeah. one of the things that I think people kind of forget and or maybe not understand about teams like Nebraska or Notre Dame even this year struggling is that you can't sell kids on nostalgia anymore. Like you used to be able to sell this image of a program and, and you know show them Rudy and all this other crap. But yeah. the truth of the matter is that that's not that's not what appeals to recruits anymore. And I think at one point it did. I think at one point you could sell them on the history of a program and things like that. But because, you know, there's so much more parity and because a team like Houston or Boise state or even Washington, you know, kids are looking at Washington with Chris Pearson. I'm like, I want to go to Washington now. It's, yeah. it's about the coaching. It's, it's so much more about who is at the head of a program. And I think Ohio state fans, the lesson that they maybe need to take from this is, you know, it's all fleeting, right? Like Ohio State has an Great amazing, point. incredible history. But man, if if you don't have somebody to come in after Urban Meyer who is just as good as Urban Meyer, you can lose all of it, right? Because I don't can, think that, you can lose it in a blink. Yeah, I don't think Ohio State is that much more unique than like Nebraska or Notre Dame, where we're not vulnerable to those kind of changes in, in college football. And so is Alabama for that matter, right? If oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Retires, yeah, Nick Saban retires, they hire some chump. They're screwed, and and it's it's a totally different ball game, and, and kids don't look at football the same way that they did 25 years ago, and that's a reality that I think a lot of people and a lot of programs just haven't caught up to yet. So Alabama went. It's a great point. It's a fantastic point. Alabama went 20 years between Gene Stallings and Nick Saban. Yeah, go check how relevant they were during Mike DeBose and Dennis Franchione and Mike Shula. I mean, they were off the grid. They were a non-factor. Uh, they were a complete non-factor. Uh, look at Michigan. That's our best example. We're, those are the two most like exactly. institutions are Ohio State and Michigan. You hire the wrong coach, or in Michigan's case, the wrong coach twice, and, and look what happens. And then you get the right guy in Harbaugh, and it doesn't take long to turn it around. But, yeah, when Trestle was sent packing after Tatgate, if, they would have, if Urban wouldn't have been available and they would have had to go to the secondary option, and everybody that I have talked to believed that the secondary option was Bo Pelini. 
Right. And if Bo Pelini would have been the head coach at Ohio State, rest assured you would not have gotten what you're dealing with right now. No. I had a guy call into my radio show on Saturday, and this which gets me to this. He calls in and he says that Urban Meyer's overrated. And I, I said, I said, in what way? Like he's the second best college football coach of the last 25 years. It's Saban and then him. I think right. all of us kind of acknowledge that, right? Like we all kind of see that. And you could make an argument that it's really not that much of a difference between Saban and Urban. The only difference is just Saban's one more. But the, the, the difference between the two is negligible. Urban actually has a better winning percentage. Urban's actually won a national championship at two places, and he's had, perfect, he's had great success at four places where Saban really wasn't a tremendous success at Michigan State and really only had the one great year at LSU. He's been great at Alabama on a total other level. But so, so I, I, when I took this call, Johnny, I, I mean, I'm right now I'm just rubbing my face because I'm like going, <laughs> is this a reality? Like, are you out of your damn mind? Like, is this the, and if it is, then, then shame on you because you don't understand college football and you don't understand really the, how the world works and how difficult it is to do what he's done here. And, and, and that, that is something that you should cherish. I used to say all the time when I was in Columbus, if, if you're, if you're too young to remember the golden age of Ohio state football, the Woody Hayes, this late, you know, late sixties, if you're too young to remember that, then pay attention now because this is your golden age. You're right. in the middle of it. It will never get better for you. Or it may, I mean, it'll be a long time. The heat, Urban Meyer is your Michael Jordan. This is your time <laughs> if, you're, if you don't remember Woody at his peak. So enjoy it. And the lessons of Nebraska and Michigan, and to your point, Alabama, Notre Dame. Look what Notre Dame is going through right now. Texas, like these are the, I mean, Texas is, you should be able to <laughs> roll out you should never Anybody win less than 10, 10 games, games here in Texas. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, you look at those programs and you think they all have fallen on hard times and we didn't. And we have this guy. Boy, count your lucky stars uh, that you do. And count your lucky stars how smart the dude is. Because for all of the talk the last three weeks about where is the offense, where is the imagination, so predictable, so forth and so on. They come out on a Saturday night, Johnny, and all of a sudden JT Barrett's under center a little bit. All of a yeah. sudden Curtis Samuel's involved. All of a sudden, we can throw the ball. Everything, it was as if everything that has been talked about or said for the last three weeks, Urban has been building towards this game against Nebraska, and boy, they let it all hang out. Well, and you know what? They, there were legitimate criticisms that were made about the offense and the play calling and all that stuff. I, I think everything that was said about that, I, I don't think that was baseless, but I also think that they did what good coaching staffs do, which is they made adjustments, right? They did what yes. they had to do to make sure that like, you know, it was, it was working and, and that they could get something going. And what's most emblematic of that is the first offensive play in the second half where they go deep to Curtis Samuel and it's like, all right, this is exactly what we wanted <laughs> for the entire year. And it, it was, was always like a wink, right? Yeah. Like if Urban would have found a camera and winked at us, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, he had the smuggest look on his face for the entire second half. And, and yeah, there are still some, I think some personnel issues. I mean, you look at the way the, the wide receivers played it. So it wasn't amazing. I mean, there were just, there was no consistency uh, from the wide receiver group, uh, but it didn't really matter because you had a lot of really positive things going on. And also, I mean, the defense, you know, scoring two touchdowns defensively helps you out enormously in a route, but in any game, really. So, you know, setting the tone from from the very first series and then just carrying it all the way to the end. 
Um, it allowed them. I, I really think that defensive score initially allowed them to open up the playbook a lot, and and you got to see the Ohio State offense that you saw back in September. So if that's you know I said last week like that's their jumping off point. If they continue that for the rest of November, look out because that is that's a scary scary offense to contend with if they understand and and are confident in their schemes and their players. And, and again, Curtis Samuel is the linchpin of all of this, and he was obviously brilliant. I think the, the word used there that's most applicable here is confidence. Yeah. I think you saw JT Barrett, who was confident. I think they were so determined with what they were going to do. There was a nice pace to what they were doing offensively. That is an atmosphere. You went to the game, and you know what 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 the shoe is special most times, although there's plenty of noon games early in the year that aren't, isn't, it isn't so special. But <laughs> in, in, in a late, in an early November, eight o'clock kick, on what I assume was a perfect night in Columbus, Ohio for football, you are going to get an electric atmosphere and what you, the players will feed off of that. You think yeah. about how important that game was. I mean, you saw the list of recruits that were there at that game. Uh, you, you saw who was in attendance. You, that game meant so much. And the way that Ohio state played with confidence and swag. I mean, that that's Pantone's word, right? Is swag going back four or five years, five years mm-hmm. before anybody else was saying it. I mean, they, they, they they played the way we thought they would play every game after Oklahoma. Now, should yeah. we have expected them to be that way every time? Maybe not because of how young they were, and um, but we we probably should have seen it more. But here's the thing I would say. Having been around Urban a long time, going back to his days at Florida, Urban's teams, I've never seen anybody do this as well as him. When, one, when his team loses, there is a circle the wagons mentality that I've never seen another coach master the way he has. They get better from a loss. A lot of teams lose a game and it can snowball or they don't ever play that way again. Urban's teams lose. If they lose, they rebound and are great. Last year when they lost to Michigan State the way they did, and that is a punch in the stomach loss that I think gets worse and worse every day when you see how good this Ohio State rookie class is doing in the NFL but, and how bad Michigan State is this year. But but the way they responded with the Michigan and Notre Dame, I remember it at Florida when when he had those te- the two teams that won national championships that had losses and and rebounded emphatically to win the national championship and got better and better. And this his teams get better in November. This team's one of them. Absolutely confidence in their ability to throw the football, confidence to do whatever they wanted to offensively, defensively so dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, we, last week on the television show, I called Malik Hooker on a on a pick six. So I, you know, we got to point it out to the people. We, I actually called it on the TV show. I was so confident because of who Tommy Armstrong is. Now it wasn't Tommy who threw the pick to Malik, but because of who he is, and God, God bless him that he got up and he's fine. But that the guy behind him would do it too. They, right. they just this was a game set on a platter for Ohio State to rebound, and they did. And and kudos to that. To, kudos to looking the part. 62 to three. I mean, a lot of teams look the part and they win 45 to 10. This was a 62 to three and it wasn't even that close. This was dominance uh, really from the start. And it's impressive. And there wasn't a facet where I would say, well, they didn't do that good. I mean, this is everything good. And now you're talking about Maryland, Michigan state, and then the big one. And we are headed for a Michigan game, my friend, the likes of which that we haven't seen in 10 years. I mean, it's 2006. We got to go back to 06. To see I was I was Michigan. telling uh I was telling Nebraska next to me like you know if both teams went out and I was like sorry for being presumptive because it was like we were up by like forty points at that point but I was like if we went out <laughs> uh 
Like it is like you you think this stadium's like bonkers tonight. Like it is going to be hell on earth, <laughs> you know, in in November, like late November with that Michigan game. And I I'm really looking forward to that. That is exactly you know we we talk about this a lot, but you know people who think that they want Michigan to lose every game are insane because yeah, I agree. you don't get games like we're probably going to get at the end of November when Michigan is bad. And I I'm really really stoked for that. I think it's going to be incredibly fun, exciting. Um, did you see, and I, this is just kind of an aside, but do you see, yeah. uh, Karen Johnson's tweet about how he flew nine that dudes is... out from Australia <laughs> did to watch that. him do yeah. nothing? <laughs> I felt a little yeah, bad about that. that, after that, game. Like, oh, that was a great game. I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, that's, that's thousands of dollars. And you, can you imagine like, like dozens of hours? Conversa- right. Can you imagine their conversation? Like, I wonder what their handle is on American football because anybody, <laughs> Right. A great friend of mine was Duncan Outen, who was from New Zealand, who played for Columbus Crew, and cool. he, try, trying to explain football to him and the appeal of it to somebody who didn't grow up with it was fascinating. Like he didn't, he thought it was the slowest, most boring game on the planet because it's right. it, you played for six seconds and then you stopped for two minutes and you played for six seconds. You know where soccer's continual or rugby's pretty much continual. Um, so that would be hilarious to say, like Cameron acting like he was a big guy, big big shot, you know, playing at Ohio State, blah 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 trying to explain that to him and then they come over here and surely they know what football is and they know what he's doing now i'm, I'm guessing but they yeah. come over here and they're like boy cameron what a stud you are you don't even get to play <laughs> you must be <laughs> real valuable good. to the team buddy right. he's pretty good I'm glad you guys uh, you know we brought up we we i wanted to we'll talk a little bit about maryland but you brought up something that i thought was, that i wanted to get your take on you mentioned ohio state michigan here it is this is what november 7th 8th that week first week of november yeah. and Here's what's interesting to me. Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn, Washington, Washington State. I mean, are we down to three games that oh, yeah. determine everything that matter? I yeah, mean, Clemson's no, not going to play an interesting game the rest of the way. They've already played Louisville. They've already played Florida State. Alabama, I'm not sure who. I know they have a buy, basically a bye before Auburn. They always do, and so does Auburn. So you have, you have that. You have... Washington, Washington State, although Washington plays USC, that's kind of interesting. You have our game and you have Alabama, Auburn. There's like three games that matter. Yeah. That's, I can't remember a, a time where it's three weeks, three or four weeks left in the college football season, and there's like three games that matter that are going to determine all of this. And it's very likely that, in my opinion, it's very likely that Ohio State and Michigan, I think it's like better than 50% chance that Ohio State and Michigan will both make the playoff if Ohio state handles their business, because I think Washington's going to lose, but we're down to like, I, I don't know if that's good for college football that November has such a, such a void of games that matter. I can't remember this ever in the 15 years that I've been covering big time college football, that there's only like three or four games that have any significance. Right. I, I think it's a combination of two things. I think one, you've got uh, several major conferences that are not doing super hot, at least comparatively. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, you, the, the SEC totally out. Right, you look at the SEC and it's like, oh, it's it's Alabama and, and everybody. I mean, they played LSU and and thank God I was at the game because I wasn't obligated to like flip back and forth and try to watch that LSU where it was like what zero to zero like half of the way yeah. through the third quarter. Like I'm not watching that. Um, and I think that's part. Of it. So I think I think part of it is that you've got some underwhelming teams in the rest of the conferences. So there isn't a lot of challenges there. I mean, and and it, you would expect even this year, a lot of people going into it were like, "Man, Michigan State, then Michigan, you know, right next to each other. That's gonna be terrible." And of course, now it's like, well, who cares? We're just gonna walk in, destroy them. But 
the other thing is that I still think that people don't have a ton of faith. And maybe just it's this year because there were some teams that didn't pan out. But I still don't think they have a ton of faith in non-Power 5 teams that are up-and-comers and things like that. I think there's still kind of like this trepidation to to put them as highly regarded as some of teams like Alabama or Ohio State. And, and like I said, this year, I can understand that. Uh, you know, like Houston, for example, is not you know, been the team that I think a lot of people thought they would be at the beginning of the year. But I I think that's always going to be part of it. I think if you have some just dominant teams and maybe down years in conferences, it's going to lead to kind of a slower November because there just isn't, there isn't that intrigue of like, Oh, anybody could, could take it. Um, Which is interesting because I don't know if that's a byproduct of the actual, the college football playoff system or just the fact that, you know, maybe this is a, a weird year for a lot of the major colleges in general. I think it's a weird year. I don't think yeah. it's the playoff because the playoff would theoretically keep more teams involved. I yeah. just think that the Big 12's been out of it really for, geez, since middle of October, since West yeah. Virginia lost two weeks ago, they've been out right. of it, totally out of it. Big 12, totally, all those schools out. The, the Houston falling off took that out of it. Boise State losing to Wyoming took that out of it. So now those are gone. The Big 12's gone. Your point is accurate on the SEC. It's a garbage league. There's one great team and a bunch of garbage teams. And they have talent because you see the recruiting ratings, so you know that they have talent. You'll see it in the draft. They're being very poorly coached, and I think a lot of them are pretty gutless. I think Tennessee is the prime example of just being gutless. That squad, that program is just gutless to me. And falling um, apart. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's oh crazy. Oh, my God. They just pulled like a geez, like just the cheapest tent. And, the, I mean, Texas A&M, that was so predictable. They are, there are so many of those teams that have a ton of talent that just – have no guts and no will and must not have good leadership in their programs. Um, and there's no good quarterbacks down there. So that league, I mean, it's just, it's a bad year in the sec. It's, it's Alabama and everybody else. The big 10 is clearly the best conference in college football this year. It's not even close. If you argued anything else, you don't have anything to stand on. I think you could argue that three of the six best teams in the country are in this league with yep. Ohio state, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Um, and, and I think, that 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 because of that because Wisconsin already has its two losses it's really Ohio State and Michigan and then it's Alabama I mean the only team that it, it's Alabama or Auburn I mean a two loss Auburn now who are their losses to Florida who's I'm trying to think there who their losses are I shouldn't have brought this up without thinking about it but I want to make sure <laughs> both their losses I don't think both their losses are in the SEC I think they have one out of conference yeah they lost to Clemson so that's right. right so if they beat Alabama they would go they would win the SEC West and they theoretically with two losses could play for the championship if they beat Bama but they got to go to Tuscaloosa. So it's that game. It's Washington and the Apple Cup. And if Washington loses the Apple Cup or loses to USC this week, then they're out. And it is Ohio State and Michigan, provided Ohio State beats Michigan, both of those teams could get in. But I I think to answer the question, it's just a weird year. I think this won't happen often. The Big 12 will stay relevant longer. There will be other teams in the SEC that, that, that hang in there. But if there's a chance to pounce on it, now's the time if you're the Big Ten because I think you've got three of the top six teams and I think you definitely have two of the top four because um, I would take Ohio State or Michigan against Washington. I think there's a real chance that you could see two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be – I think that would be crazy and, and considering <laughs> considering the, the narrative that existed when the college football playoff first was created. Right. Um, that is – we yeah, I mean, right, and that's exactly my point. When we talked earlier about like you know how fast things can change, I mean that that's there's your proof right there, right? Yeah. Like that is unbelievable. And and it's and again, some of it's kind of fluky. I mean, you've got this, you know, 
you you fall into Urban Meyer at Ohio State and then Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, two completely game changing coaches for those programs. And it's like if that doesn't happen, it, I don't know who we're talking about at this point yeah. as like the best teams in the country. It's it's just completely like it's not random chance. Obviously, there's a lot of things that have to happen to make that work. But man, like it is crazy to think on the the edge of the razor blade at which this whole thing kind of hangs sometimes. Yeah. And just, you know, high state fans have been incredibly fortunate, but so have a lot of other schools, frankly. Oh, yeah. You know, where they've been able to to take on uh, those coaches and those those players and teams and all that. Like, it's it's a crazy thing that happens. And, you know, you look at, like, let's say a team like Clemson. I mean, Clemson, to me, we don't talk about them as much, but it, it's almost a result of the fact that, it's the same thing as in the SEC or in, maybe in the Pac-12. Like, you, you don't know who the real good team is. So we're just going to pick the team that hasn't lost yet, you know? And it, it yeah. doesn't seem to be, like, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to be a team that has the same kind of specialness or coaching or players. I don't know that Wouldn't a team like Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, if, if, Clemson's the two, if Clemson's the two and Ohio State's the three, I would love to play them. Right, and that's what I'm saying. It's such a weird them. thing. Yeah, no, it is. And it's, you know, you hit on it uh, when you were talking about Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh. It's coaching. What yeah. happened to the SEC? They're, they don't have any elite coaching anymore. I mean, there was a time when Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Steve Spurrier, still in his prime at this point, a young Mark Richt who could coach it when he was young and always recruited it. All those guys were in that league. I'm leaving a bunch of guys out, but I mean, that's just off the top of my head. Those are the guys who are in that league. Now it's Saban and a bunch of dipsticks down there. I mean, there's not a guy. It's Saban and a bunch of his guys. Jim McElwain, Kirby Smart, Butch Jones. Right. I mean, look at who's coaching in that league. I mean, yeah. Hugh Freeze, who are these cats? Like, where do these guys come from? You know, like, there's no there's, – Urban Meyer's not walking around that league anymore. It's Saban and a bunch of his little minions coaching at other schools. Well, let me That's ask it. you this: I mean, how how far crazy. up the ranks? How far up the ranks in the SEC is Brett Bielema in terms of coaching? Like, is he in the top like three or four coaches? Uh, he's top top half for sure. I mean, he's yeah. top six. I think he's a pretty damn good coach. I, I agree. I just think it's as, hilarious. As that, a lot. Yeah. I just think it's funny that a cast off from the Big Ten like Brett Bielema. And I granted he wasn't firing them, but like, I just think it's hilarious that you would look at him and go, okay, that's a guy who can compete in the SEC. Whereas if you said that 10 years ago, like laugh in your face. Yeah. No, like, it, you're right. I, I just think it's hilarious. I don't, I don't know. It is. He really put it crazy. on McIlwain this weekend. I mean, he put it on Florida. Yeah. He put it on him. Like McIlwain supposed to be the savior at Florida. They, they've been looking for their savior for a long time. And Florida is an interesting program because they believe that they've been good at football as long as Notre Dame, Ohio state and Michigan and Alabama <laughs> right. have been really for Florida. Football started with Steve Spurrier in the late eighties. They've yep. had two great coaches who are two of the, God, 10 best coaches of all time and Steve Spurrier and, and Urban Meyer. And other than that, it's been a tough row to hoe down there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think Bielema is that type of coach. And that, it's what it is. It's coaching. And if you have a great coach, if you have great coaching in your league, and right now we have great coaching in this league. Chris can coach it. D'Antonio can coach it. Urban can coach it. Harbaugh can coach it. James Franklin can recruit it. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Kurt Ferentz yeah. can coach it. I know we mock him a lot because he wins coach of the year all the time, but that's a hard job. And, and he can coach it. I mean, he, 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 this is a guy who could have been the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. People that want to mock Ferentz. Like, not, I mean, like the NFL wanted Kirk Ferentz bad to coach in the NFL, and he said no. That's a tough place to coach. Um, 
but it speaks to the depth of the coaching in this league. And that's why the Big Ten is on on the ascent. And it'll stay this way for a little while because they have really good coaching and the SEC doesn't right now. Um, but it is a it's a fascinating time, which brings us to Maryland. Uh, look, <laughs> these guys gave up like 150,000 points to Michigan over the weekend. Yeah. I know they're going to wear special uniforms. Um, it's an interesting place because when you fly in there to cover it, uh, you we flew into Reagan, and so you. I mean, it's especially this week when we vote. I mean, you fly into the you fly in over the monuments, um, and you land, you know, right there on the Potomac, and you <laughs> go up to the campus, which is really suburban DC, and you go to the campus, and you it's, you know you feel the patriotism and all this, and it's got to be an awesome trip for Buckeye fans because you get the double dip. I mean, you get to go to DC, which is such a cool place, and then at the same time you know, go check out a football game with which you're probably going to have 40% of the crowd. But in terms of the actual football, DJ Durkin has a long way to go. And <laughs> I know, I know, I know a lot of people think that they are a, I've heard a lot of people say that they're a sleeping giant because of the Under Armour money and Kevin Plank's just pumping money into that program. They've got a decent stadium. They've got a nice campus, some okay facilities, and they're going to do the crazy uniform thing, but everybody does a crazy uniform thing now. I just I don't see it the way other people do. I just don't know if Maryland will ever be anything other than what they were at their best under Ralph Friedgen, which was a team that won the ACC once and won 10 games a couple of times. Like to me that's the ceiling for them. I don't think they ever reach these other levels that that some people do based on Under Armour money and a, and a proximity to DC and Baltimore. Yeah, I mean they've got they do have a better history than a lot of people maybe realize, but uh, actually, I have an interesting story about Maryland. I, I went to it. I went. I was at Ohio State uh, in 2000. I think this is in 2006, and I took a trip to DC. Uh, it was like a like a world religions trip. So I went to a you know we went to the the huge Catholic um, you know like uh, what do they call it like the cathedral that was there. Uh, I went to a you know a Jewish temple. I went to a, a Muslim temple and, and just you know saw all the different stuff. And I was talking to the imam at the uh the muslim place and he was a real cool guy i was talking to him just you know just shooting it and just talking about him and he we talked about football because you know it was ohio state and that's always the first thing that you know anybody right. brings up and <laughs> telling me from my state and he was like yeah but what about those maryland terrapins <laughs> he's like they're there you know hey they could give a high and i was like what are you talking about i was like you know I, I see a lot of people i know a lot of people from a lot of different places and i'm just telling you they can compete with <laughs> I laughed in his face. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I don't agree with anything you just said, but I That's love right. the fact that you just said that. And yeah. it was hilarious to me that some he, he's like he's the you know the Imam of this this gigantic, beautiful, you know, Muslim uh, you know, temple and and I just thought yeah. it was hilarious that he was that invested in Maryland Terrapins football that he had to start talking yeah. trash to an Ohio State football. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I think their fans believe it. I think they they want to have yeah. that that kind of team. I don't know that they really have the wherewithal to do it, but I, I I believe that there is support there, and I think that's cool because I also think that's the opposite of what you'll see at some of the other uh, programs like Rutgers or whatever, where it's kind of like, well, if they're good, that's great, but if not, we're not really expecting anything. Yeah, that's the expectations are a funny thing, and and what are theirs? I think you know Plank thought that he could do for them what Phil Knight did for Oregon. And and do a bunch of crazy stuff. And their whole thing was with the helmets, right? I mean, that was what they yeah. were trying to do is do all the crazy helmets. And they did some cool ones. Um, but you gotta have you have to have 
you need to have a dynamic coach and you need to be selling something. The thing with the uniforms, and that's why it's run its course and why Oregon's fallen off the cliff is because everybody's doing it. Like the biggest mistake Phil Knight did was allowing everybody else to wear 75 uniforms. Mm-hmm. Like when they were the only ones doing it, that was something that was unique that they were doing. They had cool uniforms. But as soon as you let Oklahoma State do it and you let everybody else in the country do it, the uniqueness is gone. It's it oversaturated the market. And so Plank comes in and tries to do the same thing at Maryland. It's it's just not going to – I just don't ever see it ever having any effect the, to the way that, that he ever thought. Um, on the field, this is a game where if you're Ohio State, it's – look, you've got this this domination of Nebraska. Everything you do now – and maybe it's just the history with Michigan State, but I kind of worry about that game. Um, I don't. I shouldn't, but I do, um, just because of, of how the many things they've taken from us recently. But you, you look at – Maryland, Michigan State, and you just say, okay, just stay on this course. Like, let's not slip off course because we're pointing towards Michigan. Michi- Maryland and, and Michigan State should not be able to hang with us. And, and let's just build step by step for Michigan. They won't say that, but I know that in his head, that's what he's thinking is build to Michigan, build to Michigan, build to Michigan. So, what you want is an offense that we saw last week. Um, you want to see some, some confidence out of JT Barrett. You want to see people making plays. You want to see, uh, some, some dynamic ability out of Curtis Samuel and Mike Weber on track and the offensive line doing what it's doing. You want a comprehensive performance and you don't want to take a step back. And to me, that's really the only thing I can watch for is don't take a step back. Right. Anything schematic, I think is kind of silly because of the overmatched, uh, nature of the, of the matchup. So to me, don't take a step back and keep the momentum going. I just want to see the offensive line perform as well as they did against Nebraska. Like to me, it all it a lot of it stems from that. I mean, you can talk about schematics yeah. and stuff. But this year, this point in the year, you're not really changing a whole hell of a lot. But man, that offensive line played incredibly well against Nebraska. And if I see that, you know, on a consistent basis, that's going to give me a lot more faith um, against Michigan. Just because you know their secondary is ridiculous, and unless you have time to kind of try to pick them apart, it's going to be really hard to throw on them. So I just I want to see. Better passing, continued good pass, or excuse me, continued good blocking in the passing game, um, and that's that will help a long way, I think, towards the end of the season because we know can, they can run the ball. There's a billion different ways they can do that, but I want to see them like prove that they can, you know, do that in every facet of the game. Yeah, yeah, that, that's where we are. I mean, it's just such a different. We're we're talking about two teams who are in totally different places, and Durkin yeah. will have them playing better than they are, but uh, there's there's really nothing to be scared of uh this this week um all right do we have we have some ask us any things my friend we do and we had to record uh we recorded early last week and we also recorded early this week and so we're, we're going to catch up a little bit this first one here is about uh halloween this is from jason and he yep. says uh not our jason 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 wyatt here um not the czar not the czar uh, he said this is my only second halloween as a dad and uh with my daughter only 18 months she was still too young to trick-or-treat However, I learned for the first time from texting a friend who messaged me early in the evening that Halloween is, quote, a secret parent drinking holiday. (laughs) Uh, I scoffed, and I then proceeded to receive separate texts from other dads, one depicting the portage of beer during trick-or-treating, and another depicting the filling of a flask in preparation for trick-or-treating. I went out for milk, and in one particular neighborhood, noticed every parent holding a red Solo cup. Uh, I'll, I'll cut this short, but my point is, Bo, as a father, do you, do you yeah. share this experience? Is this something that well, uh, you've also seen? All right. So my kids are four and a half, just turned three in nine months. So, yes. um, I, my wife stayed with the nine month old. I took the two older kids out. 
so I'm driving, so I'm not going to drink and drive with my kids. I'm, I'm sure. a maniac, but that I have my own limits. Um, so, but what I did say is in the neighborhood that we went to, and we went to a new neighborhood this year where my friend, every house had full size candy bars. Okay. That's, that's pretty, pretty baller. That's, that's setting a pretty high standard <laughs> for the kid. Yeah. I mean, that's a high standard. I said, my God, I, I guess this is what we do here. I don't know. So anyway, so full size candy bars. So there, that was out there. That was nuts. Um, but I saw so many people who were at the end of their driveways with like little fires and mm-hmm. doing exactly what you have explained. <laughs> it blew my mind. Like my little dudes are running up. up. Yeah, it was crazy. My little dudes are running up, you know, trick or treat. And then like the mom would give them, you know, a candy bar or whatever. And the dads would be back there sitting around a fire having a pop. It was an amazing. <laughs> I, I was unaware of it until this year. I'd never seen it any other time. I said, maybe I just never noticed it when I was a kid because I was just so like laser focused on the candy, right? Like I had no, I had no concept of what else was going on. There could be a nuclear war, you know, people could be invading the United States. Like, I'm sorry, but there people are giving out candy at their houses. Like they got other things to worry about. Um, So, okay. Well, with that said, let me, let me ask a follow-up then. What do you think the best holiday is for parents in general? Because I know there's a lot of Uh, stuff like Christmas. It's hard to get kids up. For parents? Yeah. For young parents. I mean, for parents, they all suck. I mean, my okay. kids are all under four and a half, so they all blow. I mean, there's a there's a joy to Christmas morning because of because of the look on their faces when the when they see the trees, the presents under the tree. I mean, that's one of the coolest moments of my life when you see that. Yeah. Uh, but you're still getting up at five o'clock in the morning, and I'm usually <laughs> up until midnight putting this stuff together so it can go underneath the tree. So, you know, that's not a great time. I mean, until my kids get older, I think it's going to be. You know, I think there's a t- a chance where Thanksgiving could be nice down the road when they get older, because that you know <laughs> some once I carve day. turkey, you know, then I can kind of I think it's just assumed that I can watch some football and take a nap, and yeah. really it's the simple things in life. Um, but the rest of them are all hard. I mean, Easter, you're chasing around eggs. You got a brunch. I mean, you got to. Have you ever gotten three kids under five ready to over a brunch? I mean, <laughs> my wife's trying to talk them into wearing sweater vests and oh button up shirts. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, Halloween, you just chase them. That's all you do there. Uh, July, you worry about them blowing their hands off with fireworks. Um, Thanksgiving, same thing as Easter, except it's warmer clothes and hotter houses with more food. Uh, so you got that to go for you, which is nice. And Christmas is nice because Christmas morning's cool, but you still have to clean up all that mess and you have to put the toys together before and after. I'm going to tell you, uh, with young kids, the holidays are, are no picnic. <laughs> No, that's that's pretty much the answer that I thought I was gonna get. Um, yeah, that's right. I noticed. I kind of noticed. Like, forward to. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's fine. Uh, I just remember when yeah. I was a kid. I just kind of noticed how progressively we got to sleep in further and further the older I got. And I was like, this actually is kind of nice. I don't really care about the presents so much. As I'm gonna sleep until noon this time. Uh, yeah. Okay. Next one's from Greg Metz. He wants to know what's the best prank you have ever been a part of. Best. Do you have one? I, you know what? So, okay. I don't have, I don't get any, I, I didn't get any pre-read on this. So you go ahead. If you have one, okay. let me think if I can think of one. Okay. So I don't have a lot of pranks that I've personally been a part of, but I do remember one kind of really funny thing uh, about pranks. At least when I was in Japan, when I was teaching, I kind of, I did something called a Jiko Shokai, which is I, I introduced myself to the students and we talked about, you know, how I'm from America and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was talking to a class of sixth graders and one real timid little girl raised her hand and, you know, she asked in Japanese, like, you could tell she was kind of hesitant to ask this, but she asked it. And then the English teacher was with me, translated, and just started laughing his, his ass off. 
and was like, she wants to know if you ever played pranks, you know, in America. And I said, well, you know, sometimes I play pranks, like I'll do like stupid crap, like, you know, ding dong ditch or whatever. And then, and then she asked another question and the teacher wouldn't stop laughing. I was like, what is she saying? And she, he, uh, he was like, well, she wants to know if you ever put saran wrap over a toilet and then how would someone poop on the toilet? <laughs> That's great. I was like, I haven't done that one, but now I'm you going to do that. that one. Thank you very much for the tip. Um, That's I don't know where good. she had seen that. She was like the most timid, shy little girl. She's like, I want to make sure Americans poop on know saran about wrap this. toilets. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have um, one that I was involved with from afar. Um, we, I grew up in Montana, and we have some prime hunting land in our family, especially bird hunting. And every year, a certain coach who used to play, who was once a player at Ohio State and then won a few national championships at uh, a school in Bloomington, Indiana, likes to come out and go bird hunting. And we won't name names, but we'll just give you hints. <laughs> right. So uh, he likes to come out and go bird hunting. Well, um, my middle brother is the biggest fan of uh, that particular team. And on he, on the, my brother at this point was bartending at this bar in there's a, we live in a one bar town and he was bartending at that bar. And so we, I had convinced my uncle whose land this particular person was hunting on to convince this person to go into this bar and order a diet Pepsi and a Snickers bar and to do it very pissed off. Okay. And to sell the anger in it to my, to, to, in other words, to buy this from my brother at this bar. And this particular person, this particular coach did this and, um, and terrified my brother, but at the same time was starstruck and led to one of the, a really funny moment for him. And the coach was a great sport about it. And it was, it ended up being really That's funny. Really great. And I wasn't directly involved, but I had, I it was my, the, the idea was, it was mine. And that's, but it was executed uh, many, many miles away. That's a good prank, though. I, I appreciate that. I, I enjoy things like that, where it's it's just kind of a redirection kind of thing, and not you know destruction well, of physical property and things like that. Total dumb luck. Yeah, that that you know he, he's been hunting out there for twenty years um, on our land most of the time, our family's land. But um, that that my brother at the time happened to be bartending in a one bar town. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's great. Rare. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 a hell of a coincidence. That's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad, yeah. All right, so we got another one here. This is from Alvin. Um, he he says he knows it's very early, but does, do you uh, do you think that JT is going to leave for the the draft this year? No, no, no. Yeah, I don't think he's got an up big enough arm for it. I don't think he had the year for it. Um, <clears throat> no, I don't think so. I think it'll be hard for him in the league. He's there aren't there's not an enormous track record of guys who are his size and have his arm strength. And that, you know, Russell Wilson has a cannon arm. He has his size. JT's maybe a little taller, but I mean, he has his size. Drew Brees has a big arm. You know, you really have to have a big arm if you're going to be a little bit shorter like JT is. So I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think we're going to be very blessed to have him back. And I think, you know, he'll obviously own every Ohio State record. And next year he can chase the Heisman. Yeah. And the thing is, I agree with you with all that. And I almost think, you know, I was watching the game and sometimes it feels like he's really pressing to prove that he can make certain throws. And I'm like, that's not what the NFL necessarily cares about. I mean, they they obviously want to see the big arm, but they, they want to see a guy who can do all like the other kind of little things that a quarterback can do and things that he's not really asked to do that much uh, in, in Urban Meyer's system. But one thing I did saw RC was, um, you know, there was one point where 
Uh, Nebraska was coming right on him, and he did this incredible just like little step forward into the pocket, totally shook the the defensive lineman that was coming at him, and then just went off to the side and hit a perfect like 10-yard pass. Those are the little things that I think may give some NFL owners pause, especially if he just lights up the entire world. Because, you know, honestly, I think there are there is going to be a team somewhody that takes a flyer on a, oh, he's you know, not. a high state you know, quarterback, especially if one wins yes. the Heisman or something like yeah. that. Uh, I mean, you look Johnny, at a lot he, of guys. He's going to play in the league. Yeah. He'll, he'll play in the league. I just don't think he's somebody who, you know, in order to come out early, you better be a first-round pick or oh, yeah, second-round pick. Not. And so he's not that. So no. I think next year he's a third, fourth-round pick, something like that. But And there's, that's great. You can make a living doing that. I mean, right. Cody Kessler's starting for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, he can be Cody <laughs> Kessler. Yeah, which is – it actually kind of amazes me because, I, you know, I don't watch the NFL a lot, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit. But the – I don't know. Maybe I've just been – maybe I'm just looking at the the past with rose-colored glasses, but I always thought the quarterback play in general was a hell of a lot better than what we're seeing in the NFL right now. Well, and it's easy to see why it is. It is better than it was. It is better when you were – young it was better than when i was young because colleges were playing pro style offense yeah so now they're not most colleges play spread hell nick saban runs the spread you know sprint option read option spread that's what he runs so there aren't that many pro style teams left so there aren't that many pro style quarterbacks left they're not getting developed those kids in in high school now everybody throws it in seven on seven everybody throws it in little guy football everybody throws it so they're all running no huddle spread tempo that's what they're running. So they're not running pro style offenses. So these kids aren't getting developed. I mean, there just aren't that many kids that, that come out of a traditional pro style. Jameis Winston was one. Matt Stafford was one. But there's not many. I mean, you look at the kids that are going to be at the top of this draft, Deshaun Kaiser and, and Deshaun Watson. Neither one of those guys playing a true pro style. That, those are going to be huge adjustments for both of them, If wh- whichever one goes first. Tremendous adjustment for them at the NFL level. It, this isn't going to be like Peyton Manning stepping out of Tennessee, running pro style with David Cutliffe and Phil Fulmer's offense to the Indianapolis Colts, and it's not that much of a adjustment. This is a huge adjustment going from what they are running to what they will. A lot of them haven't even been in a huddle. Yeah, they taking a snap under center. <laughs> like they have to learn how to play the position again. I mean, JT right. Barrett. I mean, how many snaps under center has JT taken at, at Ohio State? Five yeah. in his career. <laughs> yeah, a handful, if that. Like. Right. It just it's that's why it's a tough thing. I actually think that's what'll help Harbaugh in recruiting is he's playing pro style. So if kids want to play in the league at quarterback, this is a guy who developed Andrew Luck, he's playing pro style. I mean, I think he I bet he uses that in recruiting. Yeah, well, and the other thing, I mean, I was thinking about this, but I almost feel like maybe there is a a lack of guys who want to play that simply because maybe they're thinking about um, you know, their college prospects and things like that first. But honestly, like if you've got the top two or three prospects and you're Jim Harbaugh, it's like you said that you don't have to sell somebody on college playing time if they're that good. And if you're one of the few guys who are doing it, it's it's not difficult to tell them like, hey, this is going to get you millions of dollars. Yeah. So I'm 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 curious to see how that kind of evolves, especially with the guys that, you know, high state's bringing in in the future, because they're bringing in some studs, like some really, really mm-hmm. good players. But it's not going to change how Urban Meyer wants that offense to be no. run. He's trying you to know? win football <laughs> games. He's not trying to get quarterbacks ready for the league. Right. Like, that's you what know? I'm saying. He has no interest in that whatsoever. No. I mean, he just he wants guys who will help him win. And that's, right. that's an interesting conflict, I think, sometimes with uh, how recruiting works out and whatnot. Because uh, they're definitely... Well, especially if you play that position. 
there's some players who walk in and they think they're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And then they find out that, oh crap, that's not how I'm being recruited. It's not how I want to be used. And they, they peace out. I mean, you see that other programs and not necessarily the quarterback position, but at Tennessee, I mean, we just talked about, you know, like how they're kind of falling apart. And, And part of it was that they weren't being used in the way that they expected. And, that disconnect, that that cognitive dissonance between like, yeah, he's telling me this is great, but then on the field, like I'm not actually doing what I want to do. Um, that's something that players are going to have to deal with and, and kind of figure out, especially if they think they have you know an opportunity to play in the NFL. Well, the problem is too many believe that they can. The yep. problem is the recruiting thing is a bunch of nonsense because they tell them what they want to hear and the reality is very, very <laughs> yes. different. And, yep. and and so those are the two things that, that jump out is very, you know, the amount of kids who can play in the NFL was there 51 guys on a roster and 31 teams? I mean, I didn't, not, wasn't good at math, but that's not that many. You yeah. compare that to how many kids that are playing college football and everybody who's a four-star thinks they're playing in the league. Most three-stars probably think they're playing in the league. So how many of those kids actually get to play in the league? So it, there's a huge disconnect. And it starts young, and it, and it continues you know, through, through the age, and they feel like they have this small window. That's why that choice is so important. And you, you really better make sure you make the right one because it's, they make the NCAA makes it so hard on these kids. If they get to a place and it's not the right choice for them to, to make it right. You got to sit out a year. You can't go to every school you want. You have to be approved to get out, to go to a certain school. Like the kids just don't have much power. So they really have to make sure that that's an educated, smart decision. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that that is the last question. That's we have the last one. Today. Okay. All right. That's it. I forgot right, that buddy. we were doing that still. Uh, that's yeah. It. We, we jumped off of something else. Oh, I, real way, quick. I was going to say the one thing I was going to say is I watched Westworld. I watched the first two episodes, and this is this was my this was the problem for me. Okay. It's pretty rapey. Yeah. Pretty rapey. Yeah. A little bit rapey, and, which is you know I can deal with some rape, but the yeah. um. But using it as like what? a a. You know, I, I understand the criticism of that. Like people were criticizing kind of Game of Thrones and, and the books yeah. are a little different than the show, but using it as a plot device is is really just kind of just crappy and, and just, you know, dehumanizes women. And I don't particularly like that. Um, well, and, then it, what, and then Westworld, it's hard because I, the, the, what I'm, the, the characters I'm most em, empathetic towards are these, are the robots. Right. You know, <laughs> so it's kind you know, of like, weird. Right. Like, so it's, you know. I'm, you know, I don't know how the thing's going to end up, but I, so I, I, I don't have quite the enthusiasm. I, I may jump back into it, but I, I gave it a shot. I told you I would. I want to let you know that I did give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, there, it, there's a bit of intrigue to it. I think it's, it's worth at least checking out a couple episodes, but if not your thing, I don't know that it's really going to become your thing. I think it's pretty much just stayed, you know, it's, yeah. it's weird, goofy self. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting show, but honestly, like, it's one of those things where, like, well, if they had 20-some episodes in this season to wrap up a lot of this stuff, I'd be a little more confident in what's going on. But right. they don't. And I feel like they're just going to cram everything in the last couple episodes, and I'm not all about that. Yeah, life. because they did had no idea that thing was going to get picked up. Yeah. They had no right. clue. Well, I mean, they made that pilot, like, three years ago, so there's not yeah. even... When they made it, they they had no clue that the, if it would get... They had, who knew? So they're going to have to put a ribbon on it at the end of this year one way or another. Yeah, it's going to be weird. All right, buddy. Uh, Maryland week, and then we're we're gonna play both teams up north. So that'll be a fun way to to kind of close out the season. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm I'm really whatever Michigan State's doing, I don't care. I still like playing them, and I think it's gonna be really cool doing that back to back. And then Michigan is just gonna I'm gonna completely lose my mind during that week. Yeah, I've just kind of dealt with that already. I'm cool with it. It'll be fun. I'm I'm pumped. Yeah, that'll be good. All right, buddy. We'll visit with you next week. Absolutely. See you next week.